Uh, you know, Vincent by John McClane. Uh, starry, starry night. like your name being Big Yellow Praxis. It's so good. My little brother told me off for that because it's a nonsensical pun that doesn't actually mean anything, and I, to which I say... It makes me think of Joni Mitchell, so I like that, that it. was the point. That was the point. It's uh, a good pun. It's funny. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Tell him I said so. I will. I will. be like, who the fuck is she? But, <laughs> you know. I'll be like, fuck you, Zach. Who the fuck are you? <laughs> Make him question his own existence. That's what big brothers are for. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. So, I'm Jacob, uh, and this is my podcast about underrated music. Uh, this time, I'm joined by three of my friends uh, from university who I will ask to introduce themselves, because I never know how much people want to introduce themselves. Um, but I'll hand it over to them. I'll hand it to Lottie first. You can just say a bit about yourself if you want. I'm Lottie Reinbold. Uh, oh, God, I can't think of anything to say about myself. I'm a medievalist. I like old books. That's all I got. <laughs> That's all you have to say. Emma? Hi, I'm Emma. I have a really good island in Animal Crossing. I haven't been doing anything else because uh, I quit my job before the lockdown. I have no other forms of identity. Got a really good island. <laughs> and then over to Catherine. Uh, I'm Catherine. I'm a playwright, but um, have been working on the same play for so long that I actively try not to bring it up to people a lot of the time because I'm so ashamed that I haven't finished it yet. <laughs> to be honest, I didn't know that. So you can bring it up as much as you want throughout this because I wasn't aware that you were... I mean, I might shame you a bit now that I know that, you know, that's something I can... Oh, I know. It's written, but to be honest, I need to, I need to be shamed. It's like, it's three hours long. It's about the relationship between Britain and Russia. I need to hand it in to somebody, but like... I am in an emotional state about <laughs> Well, three hours long and you're covering quite a lot of ground from the sounds of it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. So I sent all three of you a playlist with a bunch of amazing songs called <laughs> Rock Culture. Don't laugh. Don't laugh. I heard that. Who was that? I didn't see on the screen. Who was it? <laughs> it was Lottie. It was definitely Lottie. <laughs> um, yeah, full of amazing songs. It's called Rock versus High Culture. Um, so a little bit of uh, setup, which I tend not to do for these. I tend to just start talking crap from the very beginning. But, you know, I've actually written some episode notes for once and I'll try to actually stick to them a bit. So in May 1956, a certain Chuck Berry released what I think is one of the greatest rock and roll songs of all time. And I think most people would agree it was called Roll Over Beethoven. Um, it was also covered by The Beatles little band called Beatles. It's been covered by Electric Light Orchestra, which I think is quite funny, given that the whole song is about, you know, move over classical music. And it is about like saying, this is classical and this is rock and we are very different. And obviously Electric Light Orchestra's whole thing is merging the two, which is kind of what this is about. So I think particularly early, in the early days of rock and roll, people definitely saw there to be like a big division between high culture and rock and roll. And I think, it's not so much of a thing now. I don't know if you guys have. I'm going to start asking you your thoughts early on. And I didn't like set it up as these questions, but um, I'm sure you guys will have some thoughts. But I don't think it's as much of a thing now, but certainly through the 60s and in the 70s, like the period where most of the songs from the playlists are from, 
you know, rock and high culture was seen as very... When people tried to do both, that, that was like... People ganged up on that and saw it as very uncool and not a thing to do. Whereas I think these days, no one really questions it. Well, no one questions it as much. Well, apparently it's like, what... This is going to sound really bad, but what is rock and roll at the moment? Because yeah. it's... Uh, in some ways, I think like a lot of Joanna Newsom would fit into a lot of prog uh, sensibilities, but she's not rock, mm-hmm. but she is high culture in lots of ways. Yeah, 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 it's true. And like rock, I mean, I use the word rock and pop interchangeably, to be honest. I'm kind of talking about popular music, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Yeah. And like, yeah, it, it, it's a good point. Like, what is it today? But I do think that kind of dividing line that Chuck Berry was kind of self-consciously and also like somewhat ironically joking about because when he was brought up he was really into rock and roll and his sister played like classical piano so I think it's kind of it's kind of a wink in there um but yeah I think most of the music on this playlist is proggy very proggy (laughs) so apologies to uh, for uh, subjecting you to that no apologies it was great it was great (laughs) But, um, I, just, I mentioned yeah. to my mum. I mentioned to my mum that we were doing this, and um, she asked what kind of music on. I said, mentioned prog, and she was like, "Oh God, I remember when I was young that the girls in my class would go around and ask the boys like, what music do you like?' And they were all had to say prog to be cool.' <laughs> I mean, I kind of feel it's the this same is... today. I, I definitely feel yeah. like it, the, the kids today are pretty <laughs> much have the same attitude. <laughs> This is Yorkshire in the 60s. The more things change, the more they stay the same. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I just kind of... This playlist is kind of put together. It's kind of telling the story of that division between high culture and rock music and the people who kind of first tried to combine the two because throughout the 60s, you had people like the Beatles and Bob Dylan are the two kind of main people who made popular music or pop music or what rock whatever you want to call it into like a serious art form but in my mind they didn't really do a lot of what the songs on this playlist do which is like consciously write songs about things in high culture i think they did it a bit but it's it's still quite different yeah it's still quite different to what these songs are doing which feel altogether much nerdier <laughs> in a good way i'm not saying that in a pejorative sense because obviously I, love well, I think it's, it's the sense of when you really when you really delve into something and you're actively uh evoking it rather than just it being a small part of yes. some inspiration or something yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like you know like someone like this is really showing up my kinds of taste but like um someone like Laura Marling now would be like, oh yeah, this particular song is, um, I was inspired by the end of the Odyssey or something, but it isn't uh, delving into all of that. It's more of a kind of atmospheric or gen- generalized kind of inspiration. Yeah, yeah, I get you. Yeah. All these songs are very earnest. Yes. Um, I think my favorite kind of high culture, low culture is more take oriented <laughs> uh, what you were saying before about um rock and roll being this kind of low culture thing it reminded me of this because i i'm very cheap so i always listen to like the whole recording of this one tom lehrer concert because it has all the good songs in and he talks about um in the intro to i think oedipus rex he talks about 
um, rock and roll and other children's records. And it's so weird to hear him say that because his sensibility is so kind of modern. Like, mm. I think the songs that he writes don't really feel like tonally like they were written in the 50s. A good point. I was thinking as well, if I think about bands now that directly respond to literature and art rather than kind of alluding, I guess I think of like more like indie, so bands like the Decemberists and they have like a four song setting of, I can never pronounce it, but it's spelled the Tain, T-A-I-N. Uh, I someone... don't know how to pronounce it, but I was, I was a big fan in my late teens. Yeah, represent. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and they kind of, and they do a sort of almost prog rocky kind mm. of approach. So they have a whole album called The Crane Wife, which is um, kind of, um, oh, The Crane Wife, and this, oh God, what's the other one where it's about, um, uh, oh, The Hazards of Love, where it's like a whole album telling a story. And often it's a kind of a version of a folk tale or mm-hmm. a kind of um, this, this entire narrative. Um, it's good. Sorry, I don't have anything intellectual to say. I just really That's like fine. December. That's fine. <laughs> um, I was going to say the earnest thing is definitely actually like when you put it like that is is my kind of favorite part of the whole thing. Um, <laughs> because and it's also why like these guys got mocked the most. Um, I, I think, by the way, what. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time, it's perfectly justified. <laughs> There's a lot of deserved mockery towards these guys <laughs> and the whole prog rock scene generally. But um, yeah, they got mocked because they were clearly and kind of really obviously trying to turn rock into this high culture thing. And people clearly thought that was the most obnoxious thing imaginable. <laughs> um, I think... You, I think it was on the playlist, but I don't think you guys wanted to talk about it. But it, the Emerson, Lake and Palmer, Emerson, Lake and Palmer are the absolute like epitome of that. They're the worst offenders on every level. They did like a whole live performance and it did really well in the charts of um, adapting Mazorkski's pictures at an exhibition. But they just added lyrics to it and played it with like synthesizers and bass guitar and everything. And it's the stupidest thing you've ever heard. And the <laughs> lyrics are the most like obnoxiously pretentious thing. I mean, listen to it, it's like these guys really fucking thought that they were, you know, really at the edges, you know, the avant-garde of like moral philosophy and music. It's like you were at the avant-garde of neither. <laughs> you just <laughs> compass. And like, I, I like some Emerson Lake of Palmer, but like they're very... Um, meatlovian and not in the kind of nod nod wink wink kind of way just in a oh my god what what are these guys thinking kind of way um i was sad that you never did your um dissertation at uni on um meatlovian literature (laughs) yeah yeah, i should have done that really um was it milton that you regarded as being most meatlovian well that's that's what i first kind of like thought hmm yeah this is very meatlovian that was the first thing (laughs) But um, James and I did briefly talk about the Meatlovian <laughs> in uh, the podcast I did with him last week. Oh, man. It's I was So, you know, it's a, it's a living concept. It's a living concept. Uh, <laughs> what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. I mean, the whole playlist I put um, together. I mean, you do have to kind of believe in the idea of high culture, which I don't really. And I don't know what you guys feel about it. But it's a thing we all recognize. But it's not really an actual thing. Like, I don't have standards for what is high culture. I mean, it's the Western yeah. canon. It's, you know, the classics and Shakespeare and whatnot. But 
really, I don't think most people these days have that dividing line whilst also understanding what it is. I don't know if you guys agree with me. I see some nodding, so you agree. <laughs> nodding. I think, you know, when I was uh, at university, I was obsessed with a kind of slightly deliberately putting the cat among the pigeons book called uh, What Good is the Arts by John Carey. Um, and he kind of says, oh, well, a piece of art is anything that people can say is a piece of art. Uh, and I don't know, like, he's deliberately being a bit obtuse, but increasingly, you know, the more I teach literature, which is supposed to be foundational, um, the more I become very wary of the idea of um, anything being good on its own merits, I suppose, or needing to be uplifted purely because somebody wrote it a long time ago, or that makes it somehow immune to criticism, uh, I guess. I, mm. I don't know, I'm teaching at the moment, and if people call Shakespeare the bard, they do it just to wind me up, because they know I get very annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a thing where, like, I saw a debate about this really recently, because the... Um, <clears throat> The, the normal people TV series coming out has reignited the debate around like Sally Rooney's books and some people are very precious about like is it literature as opposed to just like I guess something that you read because there's a lot of kind of dialogue politically around what they mean but actually the books are kind of uh, their romances and some people are sort of like looking to denigrate them because of that and suggest that they're not uh, as high culture as some other people would like but the there is just this weird hierarchical aspect to speaking about it like that that I find difficult to to deal with because in my mind the the tweet that Emma and I love that goes um Zana do 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 um <laughs> <laughs> to me, that's like that that we would have written an essay about that, frankly, and had a great time. And yeah, so I've got more joy out of people taking the piss out of Coleridge than I ever have out of Coleridge. I don't even like Coleridge, <laughs> but I'm willing to get into it for the memes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally get you. I was gonna say, it's you can't hold your own fucking rhymes. Sorry. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> my anger. Let's set her off. But I, I get, you can edit it out. I get bothered. Like, why, if you're going to devise your own rhyme scheme, why, why, don't, you, why don't you go ahead and follow that? Lazy. <laughs> Chaucer. Chaucer followed the ones that he made up. It's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah so I love Let's, let's not go down that rabbit hole. Because <laughs> you told me to listen to the Ancient Mariners, so you slurred all this up. I did, I did. <laughs> um... Okay. <laughs> I just um... want to read for... Everybody else's pleasure. It's very short. The um, the tweeting question, which just goes: Zana do 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 decree. Zana do 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 sacred river, sunless sea. Thus our ground girdled round, blossomed incense bearing tree. Come and dance every night to the dulcimer lady. Perfect, amazing. It's gorgeous, isn't it? <laughs> I was going to say, um, back to the Emerson Lake and Palmer thing when they did pictures yeah. at an exhibition, the entire thing, um. I think a lot of these like original proggers got like the criticism from both ends where especially Emerson Lake and Palmer and as I said I think they deserve it more than most where they're, they're accused of both trying to elevate rock music and therefore be obnoxiously pretentious mm. and be sacrilegious towards high culture so the people who genuinely saw there being a division between high and low culture were just like ooh you guys have 
you know, this is just sacrilegious blasphemy and you've ruined this classical piece of music. And the rock fans were just a bit like, well, you know, stop being so shitty and obnoxious. I say that, like, there was still a, lot, a large audience for these people because some of these people, like, saw tons of chart success and sold millions mm. of records. So, you know, it's not all, like, a, a, a woe is me story. But, um, yeah, sorry. Like that, the combination of the two is very lovable in its own way, and the obnoxiousness is part of that. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah I totally agree. Um, I, I was going to say, so we, we've agreed that high art is not really a thing. And that, you know, there's no such thing as sacrilege towards it, therefore. Um, which is kind of like undermined the whole point of the playlist. But we, we still acknowledge that there's a thing that people see as high art. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Good. yeah. Good. I, can I ask a question from a position of ignorance? Did people in the 70s know how stupid they were being? Because I hugely admire things that are stupid, but it knows it's being really stupid. Like, like I love Jojo's Bizarre Adventure so much because it's the most ridiculous thing, but it has this awareness of what it is. But where I really struggle is like someone uh, orchestrating an art gallery, but being very well serious about that and not acknowledging that it's ridiculous. Everything's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's weird with with the songs on this playlist. I mean, it ranges everyone from like Caravan, who were very like tongue in cheek and were always being a bit whimsical, through to like King Crimson, who well they were also less ridiculous than some, but they they especially at that time were very like po faced about their music. Um, mm. And then who else is there? Like the Incredible String Band, who I know from what you've said before, you all love, were clearly not as serious they're serious in a way they have like they're they're like a weird psychedelic band they're kind of like freak folk um and they're serious in the way like they have real sincerity in their music but it's not when they write the minotaur song they're not genuinely trying to write a song that is really like engaging with <laughs> do you know what i mean the classics as you can tell from when when you listen to it and then you're hey. like who else um emerson lake palmer were definitely serious but uh who else is on this place? We'll get to them. I and think we can talk about that. There's something to be said, uh, in my opinion, for the people who don't necessarily know that they're being silly. Like, there's the, the I think it's, I might, it might be Sontag's Notes on Camp or something, where she talks about oh, how yeah. it's part, like, part of uh, camp is actually being sincere about it. If yeah, you're yeah. trying to be camp, something is lost. Yeah, yeah, totally. I totally agree. And there's, yeah, I don't know. I think some people, I was talking to James about this um, in my other podcast, which, by the way, was about the sublime. So how's that for a topic? <laughs> um, <laughs> and he was, so we were talking about Stevie Wonder. And I like Steve, I, I love Stevie Wonder. And to me, he's really sincere without, I mean, he could be a bit ridiculous, but I just, I, I think he's brilliant. Whereas for James, like the fact that he's sincere was kind of a massive problem to him. Um, and I, I don't know, like, I think, I think if something's stupid and ridiculous and over the top and a bit crap, the sincerity makes it a lot better. Whereas other people are the opposite and for them it kind of undermines the whole thing. So it's, it's hard to like disagree in a, you can't, persu you can't persuade someone to see it from the other angle. If you just think the sincerity makes it worse and the other person thinks the sincerity makes it better, 
that's just like a fundamental disagreement. Mm. But I think we can get onto that with the individual songs. So um, yeah. I did. I think when I sent the playlist to you, I asked you to kind of think about it in terms of how could you, how much you actually like the song, and the kind of accuracy or adequacy or like verisimilitude of the song. We don't necessarily need to go through it consciously or like too, too structured away in terms of those things but you know I think they're good to have in mind um so we'll move on to like the first part which yeah. is literature was is that the order I put them in literature and painting they're, they're, they're the songs we started with I think there's a couple in here that even though we've said there's no such thing as high and low culture we might actually want to say there is definitely low culture <laughs> there's a few in here that I just want to for the snide um but we'll get to that in a sec um so the first song I kind of want, well, you can choose. We'll, we'll start with the painting, the songs that are kind of based around or uh, whatever around paintings. So there's the King Crimson song, which is the Night Watch. So many years we suffered here, our country wrapped with Spanish wars. Now comes the chance to find ourselves quiet brings behind our doors. Think about posterity again. Oh, what's this? Sorry. Oh, is, it, is it a Terry Pratchett book called The Night Watch? Yeah, uh, the, uh, I brought it because the cover is a pastiche of the oh, painting. Yeah. Oh, it's a very yeah. good uh, pastiche. Uh, sorry, I realise this is more suited to a visual medium, but for That's people fine. listening at home, <laughs> it's uh, a painting by Paul Kidby uh, to a Discworld novel, which uh, is a very, very close pastiche of the painting by Rembrandt, uh, The Night Watch. Yes, cool. Um, so the, for the first two songs, we're looking at songs that are based around like paintings. Um, so we've got King Crimson, The Night Watch, and we've got a song by Caravan, which is called Waterloo Lily. Which one of those would you prefer to talk about first? Now that we've seen the Terry Pratchett novel, I think Night Watch would be a good choice. Okay, cool. So this is um, released... Um, oh, I'm released. echoing. There's nothing worse than hearing my own voice. <laughs> why do you agree? You're just like, yeah, I can see why you'd say that, Jacob. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's terrible. Mm. Imagine how it is for the rest of us. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was trying to say I know it feels bad. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so King Crimson. King Crimson have been through so been through so many line changes that it's hard for me to track which version of King Crimson this is, and I'm too lazy to look it up on Wikipedia. But essentially this is only like three or well, maybe more like six years into their career and they'd already gone through like tons of line changes and the only p person who was constant throughout was a dude called Robert Fripp who is the least rock star rock star ever he never stands up when he's playing he plays he's a guitarist he's got like he's a little guy he's got a kind of really thick not very thick he's actually quite a soft Devonshire accent um and he's just he's great but he's so unrock star and I think a lot of his bandmates were always just like, do you not want to stand up and play? And he was just like, no. Um, but at this point, so originally they had Greg Lake on vocals, who who is the guy who sings on the Emerson Lake and Palmer song, obviously. And he's very like grandiose. But at this point they had a guy called John Wetton, who, if you know the song, he sang Heat of the Moment by Asia. Oh, I love that song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a very silly song. Um, but at this point, he was in the band. And they also had a drummer that used to be in Yes called Bill Bruford. So this is like mid-70s, 72, I think this song is. Um, you know what? I'm not going to say too much about it. 
but I know it sounds like all three of you were quite keen on this song. So I'll hand it over to I'll hand it over to Emma first. And I'm quite curious what, why you like the song so much because King Crimson is not the kind of band that I would have thought Emma will be really into them. Yeah, I don't know, man. I just like it. It it reminded me a lot of the Decemberists, which oh really? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't have. I only know what the Rembrandt painting looks like because in Animal Crossing it's an art piece and you have to be able to spot if it's forgery. Uh-huh. That's the only reason I've ever looked at the painting. Yeah. And the only reason I've ever heard the words King and Crimson together is because it is an antagonist in part five of Jojo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I look forward to finding out more about it when the embargo is lifted. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't necessarily have much more sophisticated thoughts on it than that myself. Like it wasn't until I started putting this playlist together that I even, I knew it was about the painting, but I never really thought about it. I, I don't really listen too closely to lyrics myself. Um, I like the lyrics. I thought they made good sounds and I, I love the song. Um, but it wasn't until I, I kind of forced myself to think a bit more about it for this playlist that I had mm-hmm. any more sophisticated thought than other than, oh, this is, this is really cool. Um, people say that a lot to me like Phil said that to me the other day um, that he's not into lyrics generally like as in that's not one of the first things mm -hmm. uh, that hits you in a song but I I just I'm all about lyrics like one of the first things that I do when I actually listening to something is often get it up while I'm listening not with these ones but um, Mm -hmm. like as in I think one my notes on this I just had I like that they use the word blunderbuss. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a great reason to love the song. Um, mm. Lottie, did you have anything? I did. I was, I mean, I do really like the painting. Um, and it's one of those paintings which exists a lot in popular culture, I suppose. Like the way that I encountered it first was through adaptation. But the thing I was thinking about was the difference between songs about paintings, which are enormous descriptions of the paintings or reenactments of the paintings and the way that this song is a kind of way of putting the night watch into a song almost Mm -hmm. like transposing it between mediums and songs like um uh you know vincent by don mclean uh starry starry night Uh, (laughs) i will not put that (laughs) or even you know that song about lowry where it's like mad stick mad stick men about his painting Right, but right, yeah. I suppose, um, sorry, this is a, a topic of some personal interest, but I suppose <laughs> the difference between songs which are, yeah, trying to move paintings into a different medium, in the same way that pictures in an exhibition, I suppose, is trying to do that same thing, and songs which are more about trying to delve into the reasons behind the painting of those paintings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because I think this this was written about the experience of that, um, I don't know who was a primary lyricist behind it, I think it was John Wen who's like the vocalist. I think it was literally, maybe they were all on tour in Europe and, and they, they just saw the painting. I don't know where it yeah. is actually. And I think it was- It's in it. Amsterdam. Is I it? saw I thought, it last year. Right, right. I thought it would be, makes sense for it to be there. Uh, and it was about the experience of them seeing it to some degree. And I like, yeah. again, as someone who doesn't really listen closely to the lyrics, even I got that. <laughs> but um, I think it's a great song. Even like, there's just little bits where like, I think he's a great vocalist. He's, he's, he's not too Greg Lake. And there was an Emerson Lake Palmer song on the list, so you have no excuse for not knowing who that is, who is very, <laughs> very, very over the top. You know, he makes 
Freddie Mercury seem understated, I think, sometimes. Oh! <laughs> um, you know, I actually, quite a lot in this podcast, I diss Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, and I diss them a lot more than I should for someone who likes them, but they're definitely, <laughs> like, they definitely deserve some criticism. Um, but they're fun. But um, he has that vibe, but he sounds a bit more not within the realms of, like, normal rock. Um, but I think it's great music, and I don't know if you guys listen much to like the guitar playing but it's really kind of weird guitar playing which is very very robert fripp who is a weird guy and doesn't play like it's not like a standard rock guitar solo it's like weird flowing lines that just kind of it's very abstract i don't know if you guys are very attentive to that it sounds like you're probably more lyrically oriented which is like james was uh, james is a lot more lyrically oriented than i am which is why the podcast with him was similar. He was like, well, I went through it in this line and this line. Mm. And I was just like, well, it's a good tune. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was going to say, do you guys know who Toya Wilcox is? I know the name. She was a uh, barmy anti-boomerang or something, which is where I first saw her, who, which was like a kid's program when we were younger. But she was also like a 70s rock, a pop, like a punk musician. She is now, yeah. she's married to Robert Fripp, who is that serious, sitting down all the time guitar player. And I think for anyone who's into like prog and knows King Crimson, it's the weirdest pairing ever because he's, <laughs> he's just, you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect it. And recently with this whole lockdown thing, they've, been, they've put up like videos of them, like in their kitchen, just like dancing and doing the twist. And you're just like, this is not the Robert Fripp I like. I thought I knew. This is, like, it's good, but it's just not what I expected. Um, I was thinking about the sitting down thing. Does it? I was. I used to go to folk clubs when I was a teenager because I didn't have any friends and I knew how to spend my time. Um, and people always used to play the fiddle sitting down, like at their hip. Mm-hmm. Is it like part of that, or could he just not be asked to stand up? I just don't think. <sighs> I think he just was more comfortable doing it. I, 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 when I play live, I sit down. Again, people are like, oh, you don't want to stand up. I was like, no, not really. <laughs> I think it's a bit of a power move. It is, yeah, that's honest. why I do it. I do it solely for dominance. I also just like, mm. you know, I just sit right here and I can look people right in the eye whilst I do yeah. it. Um, <laughs> um, from what I remember, <laughs> I, I think I heard the story once that um, when Greg Lake was in King Crimson, he, would, he was actually like, he would like take the piss out of Robert Fripp a bit. He'd say, you know, like, why, why do you do that? It's like, it's really uncool, you know. You just sit there looking like a little mushroom. And Robert Fripp was like, well, what Greg Lake didn't realise is that the mushroom is a sign of fertility in many cultures. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's oh, my such God. A, it's such he's a, Alan Partridge. Yeah, it's just, he's just, it's such a Robert Fripp reply. It's just, it's like, yes, that is so rock and roll. <laughs> um, um, back to the song Aww. itself. I love the song. And... I think musically, it's just, yeah, they have that, like, it's clearly a rock song, but because there's also, like, a bit of violin, and it sounds, it's got that weird feel to it, and lyrically, I think it's great that it actually takes, it does take you, it talks about, like, how it's all, it's dark with years, or dark with days, or something, and it's, like, it is grimy, and it's it's aged, so it's not just about the painting in, like, an ideal sense, it's about Mm. them seeing it, and I think, like, it's probably the most sophisticated song on this playlist. So, how do you mean? How are you defining sophisticated? Yeah, I know. I I said there's no such thing as high culture, and now I'm going on about sophistication and about the. Sorry. No, I know. I'm be, I'm being a total hypocrite to some degree, but. I just think. But 
is it musically? I mean, are you, are you thinking about the way that the lyrics are kind of working with the music or are you saying it's sophisticated because it's about a painting, I suppose? No, no, not because of what it's about, because of the way it actually does it. I think someone yeah. here, I'm trying to think what else. Like the Alan Parsons song is amazing, but it's literally just getting a poem and just like getting some music and just mashing the two together. <laughs> yeah. And um, I mean, I love it, but in a way it's not, it's not sophisticated. I, I, I don't mean that, therefore, this is better, but do you know what I mean? It's a bit more no, about... I see where you're coming from. ...them seeing the piece of art and, like, just... It's really about their experience of seeing it, I think. I don't know. It's more that. of an act of interpretation. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what you guys think. Emma's, like, looking wistfully off into the middle distance. I, yeah, I don't know how to quantify it, but I feel like it has the most to it of all the things that we listen yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, I think... Um, like, if... So I have anxiety dreams sometimes where I'm back in a Cambridge supervision and this is this this would be my this is the fighter I would choose. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah, I I feel like I focused on the lyrics because I feel it's all I really have because I do not understand anything about music. I yeah. I know like But you get it impressionistically. I like, well, like I know like it and don't like it. Mm -hmm. And that's that's as far as my palette. But that's Go. all you. That's all you need to know. I think. Like that's that's primarily all I do, really. I mean, I, mean, I think. Like, did you find it catchy? Like, it was it... the first one that sort of caught in my head when I was listening to it. Like yeah. a lot of the others, like it took me. Like four or five goes through the playlist before I could even remember what they were mm -hmm. and prompted. Okay, that's cool. Because to me, it's not very catchy, but it does have like a musical. It's good music. I'm not saying it's not bad music, but to me, I didn't find it catchy. Some of the others are almost like pop songs. Um, but yeah, I'm glad you liked it, though, because I, I think it's really cool. And King Crimson are a weird band who do... Have you heard of the, al of the album in the court of the C Crimson King? Oh, it's... But that itself is a kind of illusion, isn't it? This is um, the Hall of the Mountain King. Yeah. I don't think... I mean, maybe it is kind of consciously i don't know um i think i would say it is because they have another album don't they called like uh a child's guide to crim king crimson which is like a child's guide to the orchestra oh do they i think is that one of the like 90s albums it feels like it's a bit later or is it one of their greatest hits or something i think it might be one of their greatest hits i'm not sure right, right, right. i just sense. it was something i could imagine they they, they, they they would do that um again robert fripp is quite poor faced and serious <laughs> and <they> could, <laughs> He's definitely into like the literary illusions, um, but if if you've if you've not heard of that album, you should at least look up the album cover because it's the most horrifically ugly album cover of all time. Um, <laughs> it genuinely is really horrible. It's oh the, my word! It's, I know it's like the OG of progressive rock, um, and it is very like symphonic and over the top. Oh, that's horrible! <laughs> well, Lottie's, send it away. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Emma Catherine, have you have you have you looked at it or you know you don't have Yeah, to. I'm looking at it now. It's it's just it's a lot to take in, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I've got I've gone to another thing that I realised was um well I was trying to work out what it what the song reminded me of very slightly. Mm -hmm. And it's a kind of um slightly more almost earnest version of um something like the poem Musée de Beaux Arts, which is obviously about a painting in a very intimate way and mm. we might also come back to that i might always come back to that poem for mm -hmm. another song oh, that's, um, that we're going to listen to yeah, yeah, um, 
but yeah, well, it I, I and it just actually made me think of like the that it's not necessarily automatically ridiculous to be creating a work that's deeply delving into another piece of work, as in it's not automatically piggybacking off of it. I suppose is what I mean because yeah, that yeah. was what I was wondering when we were talking about like how this some of the prog rock has failed in both ways to some people and got a got stick from both ends is that a part of me was like well maybe it's that you you need to create the high culture in an original way within rock and roll rather than just be like I'm going to take this high culture thing that already exists but then Musée de Beaux-Arts sort of does both yeah yeah but I, I think it, it's definitely true that like no one ever complained about the Beatles well like, some people do complain about them being pretentious but it's not really it's not a thing people say but people definitely say that the Beatles turned Beatles and a bunch of other people turned popular music into a serious art form so no do you know what I mean there's a difference people accept that the Beatles Bob Dylan tons of other people kind of created a new high art or serious art out of popular music but people did object and people probably some people probably still do object to a bunch of rock musicians trying to like take bits of classical music and to put it into their music or write a highfalutin obnoxiously long concept album. Like some progressive rock bands really went over the top. Like Yes, who I love, did oh. a a double album. So it was 80 minutes long with only four tracks on it. So each was 20 minutes long based on one footnote to a book by a yogi. So they read this one footnote and John Anderson, the singer, went, yeah. I mean, I can only imagine he was high at the time. I don't know. Um, and they Feels wrote, likely. Yeah, they wrote 80 minutes of music to it. And it like I think it got to number one. And it, is, it was like <laughs> widely critically panned. And it's not that good. But it did really well somehow. And he's like, what is with these guys? <laughs> Who does that? <laughs> um, sorry, that was a bit of a tangent. But I was going to say, back to the King Crimson song. King Crimson. Yeah, I've just... Uh... Popped the picture of uh, King Crimson from Jojo in the Discord chat. <laughs> oh wow! Oh, you can you can see the sort of similarity, I think, yeah, to that I've, album art. I've never seen that face before, and it's horrifying. Um, <laughs> I'm, it is. I'm... Um, What's the name? Sorry. No, no, it's fine. I was just going to say King Crimson. Also, they went as I said before. They went through tons of different lineup changes, and they sounded sometimes radically different. And by like the 80s, they sounded like a really dark, weird talking heads. And and it's not no, no coincidence entirely because one of the guys in the band at the time was a good, like touring guitarist with talking heads and Robert Fripp himself played on a talking heads album. Um, but there's one album called Discipline, which is a really weird album, but really good. They have a, a song called Indiscipline where the singers, singer and guitarists, um, wife sent him a letter and she was like a sculptor I think she was a sculptor and she was working on something and she wrote she wrote a letter to him like talking about her working on this piece of art and they just got the the the, the letter and just turned it into lyrics and added it to like a really like weird rock song and it goes from what is presumably quite a nice letter to a really weird and kind of disturbing rock song and there's just bits where he just like shouts I like it and just really weird things <laughs> Um, you kind of have to listen to it to really understand because I never knew where the lyrics came from and I was always like what what is he singing about and then I heard that it was based on a letter 
where his wife was talking about some art she's working on. I was like, oh my God, it all makes sense. But that's so weird. Like, it just, he, what has he done to this lovely letter? Because it's like, if you just listen to the lyrics and you just read it on a piece of paper, blah, it's quite nice. Um, but he's, he just sings it so weirdly. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're not going to spend tons of time on each song because I'm trying to have shorter episodes for once rather than hours on end. But I'm glad, I'm glad you like the song. I will, I will send you all, if you wish, a playlist of other King Crimson songs that I might, yeah. think you might like, because I think there's a lot you would not like, um, <laughs> particularly... My King Crimson experience. Yeah. Um, the song I mentioned before, 21st Century Schizoid Man. So it came out in 1968, and it is kind of the OG heavy metal song, but it's predominated by, like, horns and saxophones, but it sounds really dark, and it's called 21st Century Schizoid Man. And has Greg Lake screaming lyrics about napalm and stuff like that. Um, and it's just not what you'd expect from a lot of their other songs. And in fact, most of that album is like chilled out, acoustic, woodwindy, like long songs about, well, the lyrics are always nonsense. Did you say it was 68 that that came out then? 1968, yeah, yeah. Yeah. God, I mean, like. I'd probably be constantly writing about napalm at that point. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair enough. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a that's as good a defense those lyrics will ever deserve. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. So we'll move on to the other song, which is about a painting by one of my favorite prog rock bands called Caravan. Uh, the song is Waterloo Lily. I have to remember it there, off of an album called Waterloo Lily. Annoyingly, I didn't hit record, so we missed tons of really, really insightful, you know, conversation, intellectual debate about two great songs. Some breakthroughs. Yeah, so... Mm. For anyone who is listening, um, we're not going to talk about Caravan again, even though they're amazing. And you all unanimously agreed that it's a perfect song that is perfectly <laughs> appropriate to the artwork that's chosen for their album cover. Um, so the song is mm -hmm. Waterloo Lily by Caravan. Did I just hear a groan? <laughs> no, no, no further oh, disagreement, Jacob. <laughs> I thought I heard a groan of disagreement. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's a shame. But... Um, but you put the Cthulhu one later on in the playlist and yeah. I've gone on yeah. record as saying, I think it's the same song, except <laughs> it's about Eldritch Horrors instead of prostitutes. So I probably have basically the same things to say. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And it, we, we, I, I didn't record some conversation about Edgar Allan Poe's, well, an adaptation of Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven by the Alan Parsons Project and a song called The Raven. So I don't know what to do. I don't know how to artificially too much tread the same ground. I'll I'll do a potted summary of my feelings because I'm very enthusiastic about this song and I believe it must be covered in this podcast. Right. Um, okay. Cool. Which is just that my I have a long history with the poem The Raven um, from seeing the parody of it in The Simpsons and um, reciting it 
at my school assembly I think maybe on red nose day or something it feels <laughs> oh my god absolutely bizarre choice on my part but um were you wearing the nose while you did it <laughs> no I wasn't doing that okay. um, okay. it's hard to do poetry voice with a red nose <laughs> <laughs> I know well they never they never actually bloody stayed on anyway um mm, but, sorry yeah so the and I think the reason this song really works for me is that the reason I liked The Raven when I was young is that it has this kind of bombast to it. I think, I'm, I'm sure if I read it in like, I don't know, the side of fire in the dark in Edgar Allan Poe's era, I would have, um, like, I would have had more sense of, oh God, this is really evoking a terrifying incident. But because of having seen it with The Simpsons when I was young and beca like because of the way that the, the kind of structure of the poem I perceive just a lot of bombast and that means that it's very ripe for parody. And so um, putting a vocoder on it to begin with and the distance between uh, the original and that makes it perfect for me. Brilliant, yeah. And, and again, I'm repeating myself, although anyone listening won't know, um, Ed, uh, Alan Parsons Project. I'm getting confused now. I keep thinking, like, oh, Edgar Allan Poe did a version of the <laughs> Alan Parsons Project. No, no not quite right. Um, they did a few albums where they would just write musical versions of books and, you know, works or um, by people. I think they also had like a, a Freud themed album, I, I seem to remember, oh. which is just like, why? <laughs> but um, they did one about iRobot. And this is this album, the album this is from is all about Edgar Allan Poe stories and poems. Um, and it's genuinely brilliant. They had this really horrible habit, though, of writing the first half of the album, like, really goofy, fun songs based on, let's say, Edgar Allan Poe stories. And then the second half would just be, like, instrumental, and it would be an instrumental interpretation of something, and it was just always completely uninteresting, because, like, they orchestrated, and it was, like, this kind of pseudo-orchestral piece of music, and they're just, they're rock musicians, so it just sounds shit. And I don't know why they did it. But Alan Parsons. So interesting. Alan Parsons was the uh, engineer on tons of Pink Floyd albums, so I don't mm. know many examples where an engineer from an album went on to have like a successful music career. It tends not to happen, so it's kind of weird that that oh. did. That um, is interesting. But I, I, I like, like them. It makes sense to me to make to choose Edgar Allan Poe as the subject for one of these. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know so much about iRobot, but um, I feel like particularly with The Raven, as I, I think I said this before, like Nevermore and the very appearance of The Raven feel bigger than the poem itself at some point. And I find it just interesting that I have as much enjoy, I, I have a huge amount of enjoyment from it, even though it's a sort of uh, lyricized version of the poem rather mm. than the poem itself. Yeah. I think Emma made a good point though about the lyrics which maybe you could repeat. Uh, I think I said that it was is like Poe, but it's a bit worse, and there's a vocoder. <laughs> and mm. I don't Are you dissing the vocoder? Work of art. Well, for me, the vocoder, its semantic field is that S Club 7 song, Don't Stop Moving. So I find <laughs> it hard to... Are you dissing S Club 7? <laughs> no, no. Oh, okay. I mean, obviously, no. But just that, I guess that is my primary association. <laughs> Um, but no, I think you're right, Emma. Like, I think it's weird that it's not just the poem. 
Yeah. It's hard to make it scan yeah. melodically, do you know what I mean? The lines of it are very long. It's things like, mm. yeah. you know. But that's dumdy, 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 dumdy. It. That's what's good about the poem. Mm. And it kind of takes away what is good about its source material. and just. But I think there's a value in mangling things. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we're not going to talk too much about the Iron Maiden song, but it essentially does the same. <laughs> And I don't think the Iron Maiden one, I mean, I, I don't mind, I like Iron Maiden, but the Iron Maiden one is just too stupid for me. It's just, uh, I, like, I kind of like Bruce Dickinson. It's very stupid and it doesn't even, I, I think I've already gone on record as <sighs> objecting to Coleridge's unwillingness to adhere to his own rhyme schemes. So <laughs> I don't mind so much that you're going to take the Ancient Mariner and reword it because Coleridge couldn't be bothered to finish his job. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty charming. Yeah. <laughs> I do like I do like the way that musically you're like having a good time, you know, pretty much standard. And then it gets to nevermore and it's like all bets are off, nevermore. And you're like, yes. <laughs> I think it's fine. I don't like it as much as some of the other things on this list, yeah, but yeah. I think it's pretty good fun. If you I did felt like, like it... it satisfied some deep need in me that I didn't know existed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you should definitely listen to the rest of the album then, because like they're yeah. all quite fun. And, I actually like, think I will. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I really, I mean, I like those two albums, and the one that's based on I Robert is really good as well. It's a bit less rocking. Even this isn't that heavy, but it's a bit less rocking. But it's probably even more ridiculous. So, okay, when you when you say it's based on iRobots, the like as in the the the, the film. I was the iRobot. The film is based in a book. Isaac Isaac. Okay, I was literally like, <laughs> that's a really fascinating choice to still be making these into the two thousands yeah, yeah. um, <laughs> on films with. Is it Will Smith who's an iRobot? Yeah. 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 I was just like, I was kind of like, huh, what, that's, a, that's a really interesting choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I'm here for, but I wasn't aware that iRobot, the film, was uh, so iconic. It's probably truer to its source material than iRobot, the film is. It's in that bit of okay. Will Smith's career where he's in movies which are based on books but have nothing to do with the original books. Like, um, Not nothing I'm, to do. <laughs> I'm legend! Come, come now! It has something to do with the book, actually. I mean, well, they're, all, they're all still better than Shark Tale and the, <gasps> the animated Will Smith fish. Will, I'm going to come into that you. square and fight you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, now we're going to move on to a song that my notes merely say, Blurg, um, Rush, The Trees. kind of song that because I've listened to it I feel like everyone should be subjected to it um, <laughs> having said that so it's Rush the Trees off of their album uh, Hemispheres I don't even like this song well enough to even know which year it was or anything like that um, it's the kind of song that everyone should listen to um, without saying too much about it no okay 
I will, I will. Rush were really, well, particularly the lyricist, Neil Peart, who was also the drummer. Never a good combination. Drummer, lyricist, <laughs> no. He was really into Ayn Rand. Ayn Rand, everyone pronounces it differently. I always oh. assumed it was Ayn Rand. People say Ayn Rand. I don't know. I, um, I, I'm going again based on The Simpsons when Maggie's in the Ayn Rand. Um... Institute for Toddlers, is it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I've always called her Ayn. But... Right, Ayn Rand. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. She kind of, but... I mean, is she even relevant enough to deserve it? Yeah, probably not. She's relevant. She's certainly relevant to this song. I guess. Uh, and to modern not generally <laughs> culture well she's relevant good enough is maybe a different question but um yeah. Yeah, so neil pert was really into her books and he wrote tons of music like uh, way too much music based on like her philosophy objectivism was it called objectivism i think it was it was object yes yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. which is just i f- assume you guys agree <laughs> with me is just gross and stupid <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, but, um, I, I, yeah. So the trees is basically just a progressive rock allegory for that philosophy. Um, thoughts, people. <laughs> um, so I bought a Japanese maple last week, and it got too much sun, <laughs> and it's now dying. Oh, so you no. you would agree with the idea that maples are weak, and the oaks should, in fact, dominate over them. Well, I, I brought it into my house. I let it be a house plant for a bit to try and save it. Um, so I'm... You probably already know this about me, but I, I don't I don't vibe with that philosophically. Um, <laughs> I decided to bring it into my house and nurture it. Um, but it's probably still going to die anyway because I'm really bad at taking care of plants. <laughs> Aww. I mean, that's, that's an incredibly insightful point well. about the song as well, actually, in that... No, it isn't really, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to turn it round. You know when you start a sentence, you think you're going to end it well, but I didn't. Um... All my life. <laughs> I, I, just, I just can't deal with what I perceive to be the bashing of unions here. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um... Like, as in literally being like, the Maples formed a union. And uh, I don't know, I, I find in... Because uh, where are Rush from? They're Canadian. They're Canadian. Yes, they're Canadian. And you know what? Actually, I want to make it clear they're actually a lot nicer from what I've never met them, obviously, but from what I understand, they're actually a lot nicer than what you'd think about a Mm -hmm. bunch of nerds singing about how great Anne Rand is. Well, they Um, are Canadian, and so that. I I, I assumed that immediately. I suppose what I mean is that, like, um, it. I find it really weird sometimes when I like looking at parts of American culture where it's just a given when you say union that you're saying it as a pejorative. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. so there's, it's one of those things where like I'm very much at cross purposes with yeah, yeah. Um, some pieces of art in that way because I'm just like, well, <laughs> we've all agreed a long time ago that unions and co-ops are wonderful things. But we didn't. Like, there are tons of people in the UK who don't agree with that. No, but I, I suppose what I mean is culturally, it's um, uh, there, there are there are the larger blocks of strong pro-union sentiment in the UK with um, more influence. True. Whereas true. in, I remember what really uh, like recently, I was doing a lot of research about the film uh, Norma Ray from nineteen seventy nine that Sally Field won her first Oscar for. Um, and like it was very notable at the time that it was a pro-union film that had been successful but it was like 
that that was unusual. Yeah, yeah. So, on that's that note, do you know the song um, by the Straubs, Part of the Union? No. Yes. <laughs> it's a good song, but it's the kind of, I always thought it was ironic, and I was always a bit weird about it because it sounds like it's taking the piss. Uh, but it's a really, it's a pro union song. Um, yeah, we I I was on strike quite recently, and it uh, made quite a few appearances at the picket line. But it, I I've, I've talked to people about it, and lots of people actually said the same that they thought it was being ironic as well because it just yeah. sounded like a reductio ad absurdum of it all. And I always thought like, is this this sounds pretty biting? Uh, oh no, it's really pro union. They should have really worked on the tone a bit, but um, yeah. Um, so did anyone really like the Rush song? I'm over familiar with it. You know, I hope you didn't like big... it. <laughs> no, I just, I just don't, I don't like allegory, which is a woman who works on medieval literature is itself a difficulty. A but I just, it just leaves me very cold. It gives me, I have good memories because we were super into it in our third year. Um, into what? Into that song, we got. I was sorting through my emails the other day. We've got loads of emails from Jeff about that particular song. Do we? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do, we do. So I knew it, <laughs> um, but it does leave me cold. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I, in my mind, I have this choice between Rush and Yes, and I would always choose Yes. Uh, whoa! I mean, that's they don't. They shouldn't even be mentioned in the same sentence. Except I mean, to I'm say, just saying. except to say that Russia basically. A combination of Led Zeppelin and Yes, whilst being nowhere near even remotely as good as either of them, <laughs> ever. Um, it's the kind of song that I, I really like the fact that it exists, but I do not like the song. Yeah. Uh, I, I like the that. fact I it exists because it. it's just like unbelievable. And there were interviews with Rush at the time, like in the 70s, late 70s, where they just come across as like really arrogant and kind of like sneering towards anyone who doesn't have a similarly like Darwinistic kind of attitude towards society. And from what I can gather, they've, they're they not really like that. Well, Neil Peart died quite recently, but um, the other two members of the band were always, I think he got them reading Ayn Rand in Rand, and they, a lot of the press thought they were like right-wing propagandists, and they were always like, why do you think that of us? It's like, well, <laughs> probably because of your lyrics, but they didn't like it because they the other two certainly themselves saw it as like, a book about like artistic expression and I think they just interpret it very differently and it was the drummer who was really into it but even him I think they kind of dropped that shtick like by the by the by the 80s and they definitely got a lot better after dropping it because oh my god one song allegorizing Ayn Rand through forests and trees is way more than anyone needs and the fact <laughs> they also had a concept album about a future where like, I can't even remember, like, a religious cult rules the world and they've banned all musical expression and someone finds, like, a rock, like, an electric guitar and, like, recreates what? rock music, which oh is God. amazing, but really stupid. Have you have you watched Bob's Burgers? I, th I swear yeah. there's a Bob's Burgers episode, which is basically, I think it's a direct reference to Rush, and if not Rush, 70s rock generally. It's something, <laughs> is it like a... It's when they, uh, Bob takes Gene to the observatory or something and there's like a light display and there's this really oh, yeah. cheesy 70s like 70s style rock music is it about like a killer caterpillar or something or centipede it's a centipede i think and it's really it's brilliant <laughs> bob burgers a is brilliant and b that is a brilliant episode which just completely encapsulates how stupid this is um but i, I love it I, I guess the thing with an allegory is that i feel like they work best 
when they've kind of taken in the complexity of the actual situation that they're allegorizing and adding a lot of detail to make that work like that's the reason animal farm the first allegory any of us ever encounter works really well why are you, la- are you laughing at animal farm Lottie? no i'm laughing because when i read it i was very young and i didn't realize it was an allegory oh, <laughs> that's fair enough seven and i was like oh it's good that they've taken the horse to the hospital though yes <laughs> yes i was like oh well they just needed to put him in that big glue factory lorry because he's a big horse oh lord <laughs> Oh, you sweet summer child. <laughs> it wasn't until I, I, like, Chris, as an adult, my partner, explained <laughs> to me. You sh- Reinbold, you're not serious. No, I am, I swear. I would never be unserious about Orwell. <laughs> but, but, you, but, you, but you surely read 1984, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just... yeah but, you, but you thought Animal Farm was just an animal. Well, I read it when I was very young and I read mm. 1984 when I was older. Yeah. And, and I guess at some back. point, at some point I was like, oh, it was an allegory. Hmm. But it, it, the, the, the realisation about the horse didn't come until... Oh, OK. I see. I see. I thought you were saying you didn't realise it was an allegory until <laughs> Oh, recently. no, no, no. no. Even then, I do feel was... sometimes, like, if, if you read something or whatever as a kid, like, you just kind of, like, ring fence it and then you just... Mm. Well, there's a few things that I look back and I'm like, oh, my, oh my God, I'm an idiot. <laughs> like... Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not, like, I don't think I am, but I didn't realise that because that was all, like, separate and, like, that's a thing I knew when I was 10 and, yeah, yeah I've not thought about it since. But um, when you, well, like, wait, the reason that uh, Animal Farm wants, you know, it's an allegory hmm. works really well is because it delves into the intricacies of, um, the like, purges and terror and rewritings of history. And I feel like, for me at least, the failure of the trees is it's looking at it in a very basic way. And so I... I, I, You shouldn't hedge that. You shouldn't hedge that with a kind of, oh, well, for me... (laughs) mm, I think we should... (sighs) This should be one of those ones that we should just be like, ooh, ooh. I mean, even if, like, you don't kind of cringe at the political and moral philosophy, it's just, it's just like, what? Like, why did you guys think this was a good idea? And musically as well, it's what I said about yeah, Rush being yes plus Led Zeppelin and not as good as either. They do, like, a bit of classical guitar, but it just sounds so crap. And it sounds like a rock musician trying to do a bit of classical guitar compared to yes who could genuinely add a bit of that classical guitar or classical piano because they were just better. I mean, it's just that simple. And anyone who disagrees is wrong. (laughs) Alienating all my audience who are probably all proggers. (laughs) Can I be pretentious for two minutes? I would encourage that. Yeah, I'm going to go with a glass of water while you be pretentious. (sighs) Oh, no! I'm going to listen. I've missed it. It's It's about the theory of allegory. So there's a uh, rabbinical scholar called Maimonides, and he says there's two... I nicked this from a lecture that you guys might have come to many years ago, so you've probably heard it before. But Maimonides, he says, there are two theories of allegory. So he says that it's the first allegory, which is the taper worth an isar. So an isar is a very small amount of coin. And the idea is that you light a taper to go into this dark room so you can see the candle in the middle, and you light that candle to light the room, and then you throw the taper away. And that's a kind of allegory which leads you to something, but isn't itself not something that stands up. Then he says there's an idea of allegory, which is an allegory of a silver apple um, with a golden core, 
which is that the apple itself is kind of this beautiful, lovely thing, and you enjoy it and you appreciate it, and that leads you to that kind of deeper meaning. And I think the interesting thing about Animal Farm is that that's that second type of allegory, isn't it? It's a silver apple with a golden core. If you're a dum-dum like me, you can just enjoy the silver apple. But, you know, what Rush are trying to do with its song is trying to be a silver apple with a golden core. But in the end, you know, neither what they're trying to talk about nor the allegory they're using stand up. Like, they're both just kind of thrown away and meaningless. And that's my two minutes up. That was That was eloquent, profound... But I didn't understand any of it, so I'm going to cut it. Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. That hurt uh, my feelings a oh, little I'm bit. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, um, I, I think it's just a question of adequacy. They're just inadequate to their aims. I, I, like that's how as simple as I feel it is. Like, car- even if you don't like caravan, I feel like they're adequate to their aims because they're just so like lighthearted. And, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And King Crimson are a little bit more lofty in their aims in a sense but they're actually adequate and they, they match it whereas rush you know neil pert just read a bunch of books and he just put aside how shit those books are anyway like he just he didn't really articulate it well through music it's just ooh, terrible idea loser. dude <laughs> loser <laughs> i mean he, he just died a few months ago i feel like you should oh no sorry i take should that, reel that, you that. You <laughs> i'm not gonna that. cut that certainly not gonna cut that <laughs> oh, no. No, I mean, like, in all seriousness, I, I mock them, but, like, it sounds like they genuinely do cringe themselves at some of those lyrics now, and they did kind of, they came a bit more of a pop kind of band, not pop, full pop, but a bit more kind of radio-friendly, and I think that era is a lot better, um, and a lot more fun, and actually just better lyrics, because they're not trying to fucking do so much. Um, so we've done a bit of the the, the literature stuff now. Um, unfortunately, I didn't record the bit where we talked about the first Caravan song, but luckily, I was wise enough to put two caravan songs in for that <laughs> that eventuality. How I mean, I'm just past, past Jacob and knew that this was going to happen. Yes. He had your back <laughs> for once. Past Jacob had my back because that bastard usually does not. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, scratch what we said before. We're going to do Riada by a band called Camel now. <laughs> sounded like there was some enthusiasm for this song it's not a song it's a track because it's instrumental it's nice. yeah i i did the snow goose at school and oh, so it's um yeah like uh, we did like two or three essays on it. i remember like i was about 12 at the time so it has a special place in my heart mm-hmm. and i had like i had not realized anybody else cared enough about it to um I assume because the album is called The Snow Goose, that it's actually a whole concept album about it. So actually, I think the album is called Music Inspired by The Snow Goose. Oh, okay. Um, okay. And it, but, but I'm just, uh, there's an interesting story around it. It wasn't me just being really pedantic. I mean, I am pedantic, but that would have been, whoa, way too pedantic. But the urban legend around it was always that the writer of the book didn't want a band called Camel to do an interpretation of it because he was anti-smoking and Camel is also a cigarette brand. <laughs> Wow, of course. Which is yeah. just, which is just not even true. It's nonsense. Like he just, it was just copyright infringement. He just, so they just worked around it because they didn't want to pay too many royalties or whatever to him. So they called it music inspired by, which supposedly yeah. is enough. Um, so it's just one of those weird it's urban legends. Perfect. Like where does that come from? Who made that up? I, 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 I don't, I don't know. It's weird. 
but yeah, it's a whole. I think it's. I think it's like back in the times when you know people were je- thinking, "Is Paul McCartney dead?" I think. Yes. Yeah. I asked my mum about this one, so she was just like, "Well, we all had a lot of time on our hands <laughs> <laughs> to make, and like there wasn't, the, and and like you didn't necessarily get all the kind of portals of information where people would have their publicists announce stuff and that kind mm. of thing, and yeah. you'd be able to bunk stuff easily. So people just daydream things up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think point. you get that now in a different way, though, don't you? I mean, I've been very deep dive on the Neil Gaiman Amanda Palmer breakup, oh, like. My. That's, I mean, that's another podcast right there. But I know these, these things take different forms, I guess. But that sense of reading into stuff and almost kind of, well, I don't know, like public speculation mm-hmm. and everyone kind of and creating people just narratives. taking and running with it, and then something becomes, yeah. But I, I actually thought, like, following some of that myself, I was like, I can't remember the last time I saw something where, like, a particular not not necessarily truthful narrative became canon so quickly mm. um but then i also thought it was something that um james once said that i have always remembered he once said when you have multiple interpretations of something you have to choose the, to believe the one that is the most amusing to you um <laughs> i believe i believe he was talking at that point about who did the shit in the bath? That oh, let's not derail this too much. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> it's going to be people listening will be like, "Wait, what?" And it's the kind of thing that now you brought it up, I feel I have to explain the whole story to absolve myself of what <laughs> no, sounds. Jacob, but that's now, our gonna... new podcast series, like Serial. It's going to be eight episodes of us trying to find out who did the shit in the bath. It's going to be about the uncertain nature of memory, and then my... we interview now the. The prime suspects to find out my whole point with this is that james said <laughs> you just have to believe whatever you find the funniest so it was I... truscott so it was lottie's boyfriend <laughs> it was not it was not but that's did find it but, that, but that's a principle that i continue to live by and i think that's why people get these bizarre things in their heads where they're like paul gallico objected to some a band that had the same name as a brand of cigarettes but um yes that's a good point yeah yes. I mean, he's not paul gallico I'm, so, I'm glad you remember the name of the author because i should have but uh, i didn't i said i was no, like I, I just... Gal, Gal, gallipoli no, no, no right, <laughs> it's no. just a really lovely um sentimental but wait wait, wait um, sorry Bella. sorry can we go back to the whole shit in a bath thing because if i leave that unfinished <laughs> anyone listening will be like wait what yeah. Oh, I just and I, in a way, in a well, I'm not. I'm gonna to have to leave it in now, and I feel like I'm, I'm gonna to have to apologize, but I also want to absolve myself of any because wait, well, that, that sounds incredibly guilty. I should be a bit yeah, more that careful. Like a guilty You're man. still in touch with the prime suspect. But uh, I think there were two prime suspects. But wait, let me tell this story. Let me tell it. It was, it was my birthday. <laughs> it was 2012, 13 or something. I don't know. And Earlier than that, I think, because we graduated in 2012. Didn't we? No, we didn't. No. Did we? We graduated in 2013, then. We, Emma and I graduated in 2014, so it was... Yeah. Did we? Yeah, yeah. Shit. So maybe, oh, maybe it was 20... Anyway, the story. It was my birthday. Um, we're all incredibly drunk. Bit of a house party. The next day... Well, a few people were incredibly drunk, like, particularly drunk, to the point of <laughs> went down for breakfast. I can't remember the exact order it happened. And a few, one, one person in particular that we lived in was raging that someone had pooed in the bath. Um, 
I mean, that's pretty much the entire story without me just going into tons of details, but we never found out who did it, although there were two main suspects, i.e. the two people who were most drunk. We don't know who it was. I wasn't even drinking, so it definitely wasn't. So you, you've gone up to, you know, suspect number three, because, you know, <laughs> that's the ultimate excuse. Anyway, now let's get that out of the way. Let's you know move. that, you know that I, did I not tell you that I put it in a play? That like... What? Yeah. Like, the anecdote about the shit in the bath has been performed on stage at the National. <laughs> wow. I can't believe you didn't invite us to that. Like, surely. I, I put that on Facebook, Reinbold. Like, I'm not on Facebook. Facebook. 40. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, like, I, I, I definitely told people about it. Can we um, move on from this now and go back to my my <laughs> podcast? <laughs> Can I tell yes. the anecdote about the spy club? <laughs> what? what? No, this I'm going to say no. A... We've had enough okay. anecdotes. Yeah. We've had enough. I don't know. I don't know where. I want to talk about the snow goose again. Yeah, I don't know okay, where sorry. we're going. It sorry. could it could get worse. I don't want any more. <laughs> um, so the entire album, back to the snow goose album, 1976. Yeah. I think it was their highest selling album, and it still didn't really sell very much. Camel were never very big. Stop laughing, Lottie. Stop laughing. <laughs> I told you I lose focus. Um, Been here for two hours we'll, we'll wrap this one up soon don't worry <laughs> um, um it's an entirely instrumental album there's some vocals but it's like it's it's there's no there's no words it's completely wordless um it's really nice it's sometimes not the most engaging thing because it's quite pleasant all the way through and some of it you'll be like oh it's not like massively melodic but it's all nice and it, you, i can't imagine anyone objecting to any of it except maybe you could say it's a bit insipid I don't think I don't think that would be fair. But then I think in some ways, like the book has been described as being like, like the most sentimental thing ever. So actually, that seems very fitting to me. It's exactly. like about oh, because it, it it's 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 related to the uh, Dunkirk rescue as well. Mm-hmm. It is, um, yeah. and yeah, it, I I I also like the flutes in it. That was one like mm-hmm. since. I have lyrics to talk about i was just like love a good flute so this is one of the very first like prog rock tracks i ever heard mm. um i loved it immediately it just sounds so like joyous it's just so like light and happy as well it's just a really good encapsulation of that mood of and it's got really goofy like keyboard solos in the middle mm. which i i think it's great i really like it and the whole album again like the thing that I do find interesting is obviously because it's set around the time of Dunkirk, it's set in like the 40s, the original book. And, but listening to it, even if I had, like, I, I was wondering, would I immediately know that this was written in the 1970s? Um, what the music, yes, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it's that, it's that really interesting thing where they didn't choose to um, evoke any soundscape from what I've heard, of either the time or the kind of, um, I guess, uh, the setting of the book itself, mm-hmm. um, which is, to my mind, it's very rural, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think the album does sound quite pastoral. I think even that track oh, okay. does. I mean, I think even that track does. I mean, it depends what you mean by pastoral. Obviously, like mm. it's associated with like acoustic instruments more than electric, but it's kind of electric pastoral. Yeah. Which... <laughs> Flutus bird song. Yeah, I think yes, that's true. someone on the album actually has um instrumental credit for a duffel coat because I think at some point he just kind of shakes it and it's just the wings of a goose. Oh, 
which is great. That's um, and one of one of the tracks is called Dunkirk, and it gets a bit more martial, so it evokes that feeling, but it doesn't I evoke see. the feeling of like the forties at all. It's very. Well, I'm really looking forward to. Um listening to the whole album it's really yeah good. i'll definitely listen i really liked it it actually reminded me jacob of that track you wrote that you sent me musically does it sound like it does sound musically yeah yes, musically yeah. it does well, actually I, was like, yeah. I did have i did have camel 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 in mind when i wrote that song weirdly that's oh. very very insightful lottie <laughs> thank you very much i said i literally had this album in mind um intentional cat ears <laughs> they are wonderful <laughs> okay for anyone listening, we're on Zoom and I have a background uh, picture of my cat and where I'm positioned makes it look like I have cat ears, which, yeah, I do, I do. It's yeah. very cute. Thank, thank you for that contribution, <laughs> Emma. Um, Basically saying? all I've got when it comes to instrumentals. But I mean, like, impressionistically, like, I think you can still say, like, to me, I don't know if you guys agree, it felt really joyous. It just really felt light and, like... Not goofily happy, not just... Do you know what I mean? It sounded genuinely... It still had a bit of goofiness because it's that 70s synthy sound. But it it wasn't... It didn't ruin it for me. It still felt from the heart. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I really glad, like glad it. I've, I've heard it before. It's that one and Icarus. I sometimes get served by Spotify. Because oh. I listen to... I mean, music that you recommend to me, I think. Mm-hmm. So okay. I'd heard it before. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure when we were at uni, I I listened to that album a lot. So you probably heard it accidentally. Almost and certainly. One of the songs on the playlist that we're not talking about because no one mentioned that you were particularly interested in it was a Genesis song called "The Cinema Show." The Cinema Show. And I know, I, I know Emma has certainly heard that song because I listened to it once at uni in the kitchen. She was like, this is really weird. What the hell is it? <laughs> I uh, had no memory of having listened to it before, but when I listened to it, I was like, this is really weird. What the hell is it? And <laughs> it was like, this is really weird. What the hell is it? Did Jacob make you listen to it? Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to talk about that, but I love, I love that song. I, I think it's brilliant. Um, so I think we'll wrap up now. Um, yeah. But I will say that for shame... For shame that another song you did not mention um, was by Yes, and I can't even remember what it's called because it's a part of a song. Um, the Total Mass Retain, I think it was called. Oh yeah! And it's a three minutes excerpt from a song called Close to the Edge. So it's only one sixth of that entire song. And it's amazing. And I'm not surprised you weren't interested because lyrically it has no, it doesn't even remotely match up to its source material. And the whole question of its source material is questionable in the first place, but oh, I still think for shame. But yeah, you're just sitting there like passively kind of glassy eyed looking at me like, what the fuck is he talking about? But it's such a great Jesus, song. Jacob, we're interested. Yeah, <laughs> we're letting you speak. Uh, I'm just, I'm used to being interrupted. Like I had my little brother on and he's like me. So he's just constantly like, constantly butting in. I, uh, so yeah. This is female socialization for you. That, yeah. Okay. Maybe there's a point to that. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> there's a point to letting the women to speak, says Jacob. I, I didn't say that. That is completely uncharitable. <laughs> I'm just winding you up. I'm sorry. It worked. 
Oh, no! I'm, I'm joking, I'm joking. Um, so, cool, yeah, we will wrap up here. Um, I did actually mean to do, like, the classics stuff first, but I'm an idiot who can't read my notes properly, so we went first to painting and literature. So next time... Next time, The Minotaur. The we Minotaur! Can look, we can look forward to The Minotaur song by Incredible String Band, uh, Tales of Brave Ulysses that's by Cream, and The Sales of Caron, I think that's how you pronounce it, by The Scorpions. Amazing. Also and possibly good. a bit more. We'll see how much we fit in. Um, Can't wait. If we think of other songs that fit the criteria, are we welcome to suggest them? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. In the, I, in the, I literally like... thought you were going to be like, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, certainly. Yeah, go ahead, definitely. Um... I like old books.